Hey, listeners, welcome to the inaugural episode of Provoking Thought with Ryan Anderson. We've all seen the explosion of reality TV cooking shows featuring chefs trying to cook with unfamiliar ingredients while running around kitchens and being screamed at. But have you ever wondered what it would be like to sit down and have a rich, quality, in-depth chat with a world-class chef? Well, today we get to do that. We're talking with one of the most highly celebrated chefs in Latin America, Elena Regatas. Elena was raised in Mexico, then she went to culinary school in New York, worked at a Michelin-starred Italian restaurant in London, before coming back to Mexico in 2010 to open her highly celebrated flagship restaurant, Rosetta. In the years since, she's been named Latin America's best female chef, and today she has a collection of outstanding restaurants, including a wildly popular bakery that you'll hear more about in this episode that played a critical role in helping both Elena and the community weather the really difficult years of the pandemic. We'll dive into her craft and her creativity, why the time after the meal may be the most important part of the dining experience, and we'll discuss what truly makes Mexican cuisine unique in the world. Sit back and enjoy this conversation with Elena Regadas. Hi, Elena. How are you? Hi, Ryan. I'm good. Good to, to meet you and to see you and to get able to talk again. I am so excited to have you on this podcast. When I first started thinking about doing a podcast like this, you were one of the first people I thought of. We had the chance to get to know each other at an event where we were both speaking last year, and it was uh, it was a wonderful time. But I know a lot of our listeners might not know much about you, so maybe you can kick us off with a little background on who you are and what you do. Well, I'm I'm a cook. I'm Mexican. I am Mexican from Mexico City. I have lived in Mexico City almost all my life. And now I have um, a couple of restaurants, um, three restaurants, a bakery and a cafe. And this started in 2010 when I opened my first restaurant that is called Rosetta, which is my flagship restaurant. And then I opened the bakery of Rosetta, which at first was in the restaurant because I I am a passionate about bread. I'm a bread lover. I'm a bread consumer. And it's one of the things I like to do the most. So at first the bread was done inside the restaurant and it just happened to be loved since the beginning. Like it was one of the most highlighted things of of the restaurant of Rosetta since the beginning. People and the customers wanted to get the bread to their homes, which we started to do that. But then the neighbors came to knock at the door before the restaurant was open to get the bread. (laughs) So that was very, you know, in the first year of the restaurant. So at that moment, I thought, well, I always wanted to have a bakery, like a proper bakery. Mm. So two, two years after opening the restaurant, I opened the bakery, which is a block away of, of the restaurant. Um, at that time, they, there were not that many bakeries like that one. 
in Mexico, we do have a big culture around sweet bread that we call pan dulce, which is very traditional. Um, but unfortunately, the bakeries, the popular bakeries, started to have lots of declination in their quality of ingredients. So mm -hmm. I believe, although still the bakeries were all over the, the city, bakeries with you know such intention in the ingredients and in the quality, there were not so many. So since the beginning, I think the people of the neighborhood of Colonia Roma, which is where I live and where the restaurant and the bakery are situated, the people of the neighborhood started to like the bakery. And what I realized was that many people of the neighborhood went to the bakery, much more than in the restaurant. Mm. And that was something that I loved. And I, of course, you know, it's, it's much more easier to get a, a, a bread and a hot chocolate than to pay for a whole meal. So I just loved what happened to in the bakery in, in that sense, no? in, in a very much more integral way of, of being in a neighborhood. And now it's just one of my biggest operations. It's just super big. It, we could expand more to the to next door. So now we have you know, many, many people there, like a weekend, a Saturday, we get around 2,000, 3,000 people. Wow. Getting sweetbreads and, and coffee, which is very unique because we serve coffee or hot chocolate and bread all day long, not only in the morning like usual bakeries do. We, we close until 10 p.m., and people wow. still have a sweet bread and a, you know, hot chocolate, a coffee at 9 p.m., which is amazing. That is amazing. Yes, it's amazing because I feel people not only go there to get the bread, but also to, to be together, to get together, to talk, to, you know, instead of going to to a bar they go there to to join to get together yes yeah so that we, we need those places in our community don't we where people can go and spend some quality time and while it'd be amazing to go to a restaurant you know every night of the week that's obviously an expense and a certain amount of time that not everybody can do but swinging by a bakery and having sweet bread which i'm not sure i've ever had actually now i feel like i need to understand what that is but i have had a good hot chocolate that sounds like a wonderful chance to meet up and spend some quality time particularly given that we're coming off of several years of a pandemic where people felt quite isolated yes for sure i i believe that's the most beautiful thing in the end through food or through a piece of bread we bring people together and we in this moment of, of time that we are so in individuals in being individual mm -hmm. in the end it's a good opportunity to get together and it was beautiful that during the pandemic the bakery could stay open mm. because it was considered as a main source of food so during those times the bakery became 
much more known and we are much more busy now than before the pandemic. Oh, that's interesting. The fact that you pivoted and that you followed that demand was not only good for the community, but good for you to help you through all that, huh? Absolutely. Because of the bakery, we could maintain the restaurant. So that Mm. was, you know, I always say a bendito pan, like, you know, pan is something we really need to, bread is something we really need to take care of. Yeah. It's like one of the most simple um, foods we can have. Yeah, so you're not on board with the whole low-carb thing. <laughs> I take it. <laughs> no, not at all. Because I, well, you know, as a cook, as someone that loves food, I don't like to to cut anything. I, I love bread. I love uh, fat. I love milk. I just always try to get good quality wheat, good quality cereal, good quality corn, good quality milk. And then I can keep on eating and cooking with every ingredient. I just believe what we need to look at, it's in the quality of of the ingredients and where we source those ingredients. Well, let's talk about those ingredients a little bit, because I've heard you talk um, about just how passionate you are about not only good ingredients, but sustainable ingredients, using things that ultimately benefit the earth. Tell us a little bit about that. I'm sure a lot of people haven't really connected very closely the the food that they might eat in a restaurant with how it's impacting the the broader community or, or the planet as a whole. Well, I believe, and I'm... I'm, you know, super certain that in the end, a restaurant is only part of a chain um, that gets together many people that in the end are related to food. I believe, you know, restaurants is just part of that chain, almost part of the end of the chain, but in the end, a good restaurant offers good food and good food more than cooked in an amazing way. What first need, needs to have, it's just good quality ingredients and good quality ingredients come from good quality earth and good quality um, res- responsibility and, and respect of the people that take care of those ingredients and of the people that are harvesting and cultivating those ingredients. Mm -hmm. Because you can cook and you can have the best techniques on earth, but if the ingredients you are cooking with are not the best in the sense of the earth, Mm -hmm. then the flavors, of course, the nutrients, the what you eat is you know, could be very diminished. And we talk a lot about not using plastic and, you know, so many things about the environment and the climate change. And I believe food is one of the things we should be more concerned about because it's what we eat, it's what our children eat, it's what we are made of. As a chef, as a cook... And in the end, I'm responsible for all the people that 
trust in me and come to the restaurant. I just want to give them and to share with them what I believe is the best quality food, which is related directly to sustainability. Can we talk a little bit about Mexican food? Because, you know, I, I live in the Midwest of, of the U.S. And my my suspicion is that our understanding of Mexican food is highly Americanized or at least very simplistic. I'm just curious, knowing that you know the cuisine and the ingredients the way you do, what do you think like makes Mexican food really distinct? Uh, what do you think makes it really special and maybe different than other types of cuisine? I believe Mexican food, first of all, is more like Mexican foods, like in a plural. I, I don't believe there's such a thing as a Mexican food. Mm. Although, of course, outside of Mexico, there are certain things that are more known. Or even Mexico policy at some point, I believe like around the 40s, they wanted to export an idea of the Mexicanity and of the Mexican food. Mm. And it's when this idea of Mexican food got constrained in what it's really more the Mexican food of the center part of the country. But Mexico is a huge country and we have many different types of food, of course, related to the place of the country, which is so biodiverse and it's so different in ecosystem and even cultural and, and the people that inhabit each space of, of the country, it's different. Like the people that live in Yucatan, in the peninsula of Yucatan, it's very different than the people that live in the north part of the country, you know, or the ones that are in the coast and the ones that are in the desert. It's different in ingredients, it's different in techniques, it's different in if there's still Mayans in Yucatan or if there's, you know, no more indigenous people living in that area. So we have many different foods. And in that sense, I always speak about Mexican foods, not Mexican food. Mm -hmm. But what happens to be something that we share in all areas of Mexico, and I believe what makes Mexican food so special, it's the idea, and more than the idea, the, the practice of the milpa. The milpa, it's the way we cultivate food. Mm. So Mexicans, you could say, or I could say, corn is the most well-known ingredient or the ingredient we always connect to Mexican food, no? Like we have tacos and tortillas and quesadillas, everything related to corn. Mm -hmm. Because corn is one of the ingredients that we have all over Mexico. But I believe that more than, than corn, what distinguish, distinguishes Mexican food is the milpa, which is the way the corn and many other ingredients get together as as um agricultural way of of uh of eating what we do in the milpa have you heard of milpa before no it's a brand new oh, concept okay. for me and i'm i know our listeners can't tell but i'm smiling because i'm loving learning this keep keep telling us more okay well 
it's a very special thing and in that way I think it's important because it's very unique. So the milpa is the way we we harvest in Mexico mm -hmm. all over. It doesn't matter if it's the coast or if it's the desert or, or if it's the north or the south. So the milpa is the way since the pre-Hispanic times Mexicans conceive the way of um, in a, the agricultural way of always planting at least 10 plants together. So mm. never as a monocultive, always at least 10, 12, 6, depending on the region, depending on the scarcity and the richness, but always these plants together, growing together and giving minerals and nutrients together. Mm. So there's always corn, chili, beans, um, certain vegetables like squashes, other herbs that are, are always there in this, in this community, as to mm. say. And for example, one helps the other. So the corn, it's like the, um, like the um, sustain of the bean that it's really a, a, a plant that needs something to to grow into because it's a trepadora. I don't know how you say like this type of of plant that needs something to to grow into because it's yeah. very thin. So it just grows together, and the the um, squash covers the ground so it can keep the humidity inside. So each plant of this ecosystem work like in a symbiotic way. Yeah, very much so. It's beautiful. And of course, depending on the region, there can be other ingredients in this ecosystem. So in, for example, in, in Yucatan, there is the fruits as well in these milpas. And in other parts of Mexico, there's other more chilies or other herbs. So I do think this is what it's so special of Mexican food. Yeah, that's this, fascinating. Yes, it's really fascinating because you think like, for example, wheat, which is also one of my favorite plants, wheat always grows by itself. You see these huge wheat plantations yeah. and it's always been like this. This is not something now of, of the, of the agro-industrial way of of um, doing food. This is always has been like this. But the milpa, like one ingredient needs the other. So they work together. So this is very beautiful. It is beautiful. It's a it's fascinating symbiosis. And it does, to me, feel like the opposite of of anything industrialized. When we think of industry, we think of, you know, assembly lines and doing things efficiently and at scale. Do you find that um, those ingredients that tend to be co-located and grown together also end up in the same dishes then? Is there a certain yes. approach to making sure that you're cooking with, with them in, in groups? Absolutely. I feel that, well, in the milpa is very evident. Like all these ingredients are perfect together. They mm. just, each one brings something to a dish, not only in flavors, but also in nutrition, uh, nutrition wise. Mm -hmm. So it's fascinating. Like sometimes when people ask me, what's your inspiration? I always say, for sure, my most inspiration is nature because I believe things that grow together, ingredients that grow together, they always 
are the best to cook with together, always. Yeah. It's, and, it's and just to consume perfect. together. Yes, to consume together. And you can see in certain times of the year, depending on the season, depending if it's more hot or more cold. For example, in Mexico, we never get too cold. But in the winter months, the fruits that come in season are the ones that are best for the flu, for all the, you know, all the things you need for the cold months. So it's just nature for me. It's just so perfect and the biggest inspiration. But the milpa, it's just really, really an amazing thing that it was created by by humans since pre-Hispanic times. And I hope nowadays we can look more into that because yeah. it's just the most sustainable way of eating. And then the most sustainable way of having food because there's always food on this piece of land where you grow. Because when the beans are ready, the corn is not ready yet, but the corn, you can keep it dry but then it's like nature just gives the perfect timing to each ingredient yeah it's regenerative isn't it exactly it's regenerative exactly so it's beautiful this is brand new to me and i find it fascinating i mean this this makes me think of doing more than just preserving the old ways but rather taking a look at the intelligence and the wisdom behind this sort of practice and trying to figure out what it looks like to to significantly build upon it for the future. I do um, think so. I, I want to know about your uh, creative process, your process of experimentation. You've got, you know, multiple restaurants going on. I know you're busy. Tell us a little bit about when you find time to try new things and experiment and what, what does that process look like? I think it's, it's in a way, it's not that I have like, I'm you know, like a lab where I can go there and just create. Mm -hmm. It's not like this because first of all, I don't have, you know, the time just to do that. And second of all, in the end, cooking is a very collaborative thing and I'm not by myself. Mm -hmm. I have many people that work, you know, that we work together and we do constantly this tryouts of what we can do more and best or how we can make some ingredients shine more. So it's a constant trying. And on the one hand, I, you know, with my head baker, which is Vero, I tell her, you know, I find this corn that it's so specific, or I found this cereal that it's usually given to the animals, but it's so beautiful and so delicious. Let's try to do something with it. And we work together and we end up doing a bread that we find it works because it's delicious, but it's also something that we can share to the people, that it's an ingredient that someone decided to give it to the pigs, but it happens to be delicious and and super nutritious as well, for example, that happened with a, with a nut called Ramon, which mm -hmm. is a fruit from the Yucatan Peninsula. And now it's one of our most well-known breads. So, really? Yes. 
So you you found an ingredient that was mostly being used to feed livestock, and had the idea that it could be something really delicious for for humans in in your breads, and it's become one of your more popular dishes. Yes. And now it's, you know, this happened a long time ago because I go a lot to the Yucatan Peninsula. Mm. And one day talking with a friend of mine that is a chef there, he told me, ah, you like strange things. This, you will like it. (laughs) And usually this ingredient, it's for the pigs and sometimes in the very poor areas when they don't have anything else to eat, they eat this. But now it's even now called a superfood because someone started to... So it's beautiful. Oh, so you've I given it like a new of, life, have you? <laughs> I love to give new life to things. And I also love to, to be like... To use the biodiversity that we have. I don't like to just stick with the well-known or with the safe or with what for sure will will hit, you know? I always love to to try to make, to shine an ingredient that it's less known or less used or maybe forgotten, because I feel it's very sad that we end up eating the same, even if I'm in Mexico or my friend is in Japan, and then we end up just eating strawberries and red fruits you know, when there's so much more to use. And I think as a cook, it's important to use things that are less used mm-hmm. because otherwise ingredients disappear. And not only disappears a flavor and not only disappears an ingredient I can work with, but it also disappears usually a culture, a way of doing things, maybe a specific, um, you know, labor of the land and the generations, you know, stop growing this. They turn to grow the safest ingredient and then we lose a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think this is one of the things I need to to be um, responsible of. And I think that's one of the things that the chefs or the people that, that have restaurants nowadays, we need to think more of that. Like we are, food is not just what we cook, it's just so much. And I just think, you know, we, we lose a lot if we don't keep on using those other things. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned your your head uh, baker, and I love this idea that you're helping to, you know, leave a legacy and cause people to think differently. A lot of the reality uh, cooking shows have given many of us that aren't in the world of food and restaurants this sense that chefs are are uh, highly mentored. That it's really important to be an apprentice or have someone that teaches you, but you almost get the impression watching television that this is sometimes kind of a harsh, critical sort of interaction. I'm guessing that's probably not the case for you and the people working for you. Tell us a little bit about how you're building into future chefs, how you're building into the next generation and what that kind of coaching and and relationship looks like. 
Yes, I I don't like this idea, or at least I'm not this type of chef that shouts and that, you know, um, I'm not like that at all. You know, I'm I, not surprised, I, by the way. <laughs> no, like I I am not a person that like to to um, teach like that. I don't believe in that. I don't believe in that type of leadership at all. Mm-hmm. I believe in a leadership that transmits information, that shares, that discovers together, that tries together. Of course, a kitchen, it's a place where there can be a lot of stress because we work um, with a very short time lapse to to do things. Mm-hmm. So there's a stress. There has to be a lot of discipline, a lot of uh, commitment. But we don't need shouts and we don't need to, to work with, you know, with, with this scare atmosphere that sometimes happens, I think, more, less and less, fortunately. But what I believe is um, we need kitchens where there could be more interaction. I believe there has to be more kitchens with more women, for sure. In Mexico, you know, it's a place where women are the ones that cook in homes, in, in general, all over. Women are the ones that are in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. But then in the professional places, there's not too many women because still women take care of, of their children, of the house. But I believe it's, it's good to have this mix of women and men in the kitchens because in the end, it doesn't matter the gender. I just believe we need to be more plural in many ways. And I believe we need kitchens where there has to be, of course, commitment, but also we need to have freedom to talk, to propose, to, you know, I learned so much from my colleagues, from all my team, because of course Mexicans, we do things different in, in, in our homes. Maybe we cook the same dishes, but, you know, I learned so much from, from my team, from how, what they tell me, and I just think we need to be open to that. Sometimes oh. there's a lot of uh, ideas about the chef as a big figure mm-hmm. and as a huge, you know, ego kind of, you know, there in front. And I feel, and I'm, you know, sure that kitchens are com- communal always. There's always more than one in a kitchen. Mm-hmm. Yep. It sounds like you take a very collaborative approach. And I love that, that you're demonstrating that being someone who's pioneering doesn't mean that you necessarily have to have an ego or, or all of the attitude that comes along with it. I know we're, um, we're going a little bit long on time, but I, I do want to ask you one last question. You've mentioned that you're passionate about restaurants themselves being 
important spaces and places for people to come together. Give us a sense of what you think makes a great environment, like a great restaurant uh, in whatever form it is to, um, to, to really be special to the people that dine there. Well, I think a restaurant, um, it's a place where you go to dine and to eat, but it's more, much more than that. I think if you want to have a place where people can be comfortable and really talk and share their ideas and just have a good time, but not only in the, in the way of having a good time because there's good food in front of you, but you just feel good. You can stay long and you can have what in Mexico we call a sobremesa, which is what happens after a meal, that it's just a good conversation. And always I feel this happens when you have good food, but also when you feel good in a, in a you know, chair that it's comfortable and maybe in a place that you feel it's beautiful, but more than beautiful that it just feels good and you <laughs> feel good. Sometimes you don't really know why or it's not so evident, but you just feel comfortable and you want to stay there talking and, you know, I think that's a good restaurant. Yeah. What's that term again for after the meal? Sobre mesa. It's like, sobre, it's like on top of, so on top of the table. So this is a beautiful term. That it's very Mexican, like, you know, we can have a lunch and then on a Friday, many people don't go back to work and they just stay all, you know, maybe four or five hours in the table. Wow. And yes, it's well, a cultural thing. Th- that, that ability and that permission to linger and enjoy is, is very special because... I don't know that I personally have experienced that a lot. I, I think I'm cognizant when I'm at a restaurant that whoever's running it is probably trying to turn those tables and get new people in to order some new food and have a new bill. So um, what a wonderful expression of hospitality that you would encourage people to simply linger and enjoy and spend that kind of quality time and in, in a place that you've created. I think it's very important. I just think food is like the vehicle to make this happen but in the end that's the most beautiful thing of a restaurant just bring people together to have a good time and to really discuss and to change ideas and maybe try to do this world a better place to live (laughs) i love it all right my friend it has been an honor and a privilege to have you as a guest. Thank you so much for spending time and sharing some of your wisdom with me and with our listeners. Thank you, Ryan. 